and welcome back to Bengal Bites, a Cincinnati Bengals podcast from a real, raw, unfiltered perspective. I'm your host, Derek. This is episode 25, the week 11 recap at the Baltimore Ravens on Thursday Night Football. (sighs) Oh man, (laughs) this was the Ravens' blackout game, and I'm sure a lot of Bengals fans will want to have this night completely erased from their memory banks, myself included. I, I said last episode in the preview that Bengals fans should stick around, don't turn it off at halftime, stick around to the end because the Ravens are prone to giving up leads late in the game. In this game, you may have been better off to turn it off at halftime, get a couple double vodka tonics in you, and just forget this game even happened. Because this game was really a nightmare. It could not have gone any worse. Not only did they lose the game 34-20, to lost by two touchdowns, but more importantly, Joe Burrow, the star quarterback, hurt his throwing wrist, and he's going to be out for the rest of the season. He's going to have to have surgery, torn ligament in his wrist. He's done for the rest of the year. We're going to have Jake Browning as the starting quarterback from here on out. And we'll cover all that in this episode, but in summary... <laughs> As the dude would say, it's a bummer, man. It's a real bummer. But, nevertheless, the show must go on. If you're brand new to this show, go back and check out episode zero, recorded during happier times, where I explain who I am, what this show is all about. Basically, I wanted to make a Bengals podcast as a former college football player, not affiliated with the team in any way, so I can give you a realistic, unbiased perspective. Some people might not want to hear realism right now. That's okay. This podcast might not be for those people. They might want to hear everything's going to be great, or nothing has changed, we're going to the playoffs, all good. After this week's game, I say the playoffs are out of the question, Super Bowl out of the question. I don't even know if they're going to win any more games the rest of the year. I'm not counting on it, to be honest with you. I'm going to watch the games just because, you know, I'm a Bengals fan. That's what I have to do. I have to watch the games. But my expectations are as low as possible. Now, I don't want to start looking too far ahead, start talking about what could be, because we really don't know yet. We've only seen Jake Browning really play for half of a game of football in his entire career in the NFL. We have no idea what Jake Browning really is going to be. We're just going to have to wait and see and find out with everybody else. We're just going to take it one game at a time, one week at a time. So this episode is going to be about recapping the Week 11 game against those Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. There'll be plenty of time to discuss all the other terrible games that are going to come up in the rest of this season. But for now, let's at least focus on this game, the last game of Joe Burrow's 2023 season. In our last episode, episode 24, we did a preview of this Week 11 game against the Ravens, and we talked about some of the storylines, including the injuries that both teams were going to be facing. For the Bengals, T. Higgins and Sam Hubbard were both out, and also the rookie wide receiver, Andre Yosivash, was also out with a knee injury. For the Ravens, they had their left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, and cornerback Marlon Humphrey were out of this game. Bengals did see the return of Charlie Jones, their rookie punt returner. That was a good sign for them. But one real negative that popped up all of a sudden out of nowhere, on Wednesday night, the Bengals' official Twitter account 
posted a picture of the team getting off the plane in Baltimore, like they always do. They, you know, they put on some kind of, we're traveling, here's all of our guys looking in their cool outfits that they wear to travel in. And they showed Joe Burrow coming down the steps of the plane, and it looked like he had some kind of a soft cast or a brace around his right wrist. He wasn't holding anything or carrying anything in his right hand. He was carrying his bag in his left hand. We know Joe Burrow is right-handed, so typically you'd be carrying it in your right hand. He's holding everything in his left hand, and then quickly people started to notice this and say, hey, has Joe Burrow got a cast on his right hand? So then minutes later, the Bengals' Twitter account deleted this photo. There was a, a video, whatever it was. They deleted it. Then there was some other video that the local news reporters put out on the local news on Wednesday night, like, hey, look at Joe Burrow. He's got some kind of a cast on his hand. So this is going all around the Internet. People were wondering, is Joe Burrow, like, secretly injured? Because the thing is, the Bengals never reported anything all week on the injury report about Joe Burrow having any kind of a hand or a wrist injury whatsoever. And NFL rules dictate that any player who has any sort of an injury at all, even if he practices, it must be documented. Because, you know, for a lot of reasons, for expectations, for betting reasons, now that gambling is legal on the NFL games, the people who are wagering on these games, they want to know who's injured, who's not, who's going to be at 100%, who may be battling through some kind of an injury in the game. Even when Joe Burrow had been on the injury report with a calf injury previously, even though he practiced fully, they still had Joe Burrow, full participant, calf. This week, Joe Burrow wasn't on the injury report at all. Nobody said anything about Joe Burrow having any kind of a hand or a wrist injury. So it was very confusing why would he be wearing this cast all of a sudden? So people were going back and looking at the previous game against the Houston Texans. And some people like Jake Long said maybe they saw on the second play of the game, Joe Burrow hit his hand while he was following through on a throw, hit his hand on somebody's helmet or shoulder pad or whatever. And he came up kind of shaking his right hand, kind of shaking it out. But he continued on and played the rest of the game, didn't report anything on it. So nobody thought anything of this until we see this picture of him wearing this cast. So there's all this speculation going around Thursday during the day before the game, pro football talk and all the talk shows are talking about Joe Burrow, why is he wearing this cast, what's going on, Bengals didn't report anything. So you're thinking before the game, is Joe Burrow 100%? But we see him in pregame warm-ups, he's throwing the ball all over the place, he doesn't have any kind of tape or wrap or anything that would indicate any kind of injury for Joe Burrow before the game at all. So we're figuring, okay, it must have just been some kind of a weird one-off thing. Maybe we'll get some. What we assumed was the reporters after the game would be asking all types of questions after this. Like, hey, why were you wearing this wrist strap before the game? What was up with that? For reasons that will become obvious, they didn't get to ask those questions immediately after the game. They had to wait a couple days. But this was just kind of a weird storyline going into this game. Joe Burrow having some kind of a wrist wrap possible wrist or hand injury people were speculating on it before this game even started but let's get into the game itself as i mentioned the ravens were doing the blackout theme where the ravens jerseys pants helmets were all black and the fans were encouraged to wear all black in the stands the pregame apparently was pretty good all the bengals reporters on the beat were saying how good the ravens pregame light show was the Bengals have improved their pregame show, but it's apparently the Ravens still have them topped in that category. The 
Raven Stadium is a little bit bigger than Pecor Stadium. I think they can hold maybe 10,000 or so more fans than the Bengals can. So maybe it was a little bit more loud, electric-type atmosphere through the game. I will say, even though the black did look pretty good, it didn't look quite as good as the white the Bengals had, I don't think. Just because, you know, the color black, it absorbs all the other colors. It doesn't quite pop on TV and stand out quite as much as the all-white. And I don't know if I'm a little bit biased, but it did look like there were some other colors mixed in besides black, more so than the, the Bengals had in terms of how much white there was versus how much black there was in the Ravens. But I did see some Bengals fans, not a lot of orange. They were smart. The Bengals fans were very smart. They wore their black Bengals jerseys in the crowd. You could see a lot of like black Joe Burrow number nine jerseys being smart. Like you don't want to stand out like a sore thumb if you're going as the visiting fans to the home team and they got like an all black, like maybe just kind of blend in a little bit where those black jerseys go incognito, you know, in this situation. Makes sense. Once the game got started, the Bengals won the opening coin flip, so they decided to defer to the second half as they typically do. They kicked off to the Ravens to begin. Ravens came out on their first drive a lot like they did the first time they played the Bengals, and they came out and scored a touchdown on their first drive. It was an 11-play, 75-yard drive. They took five minutes off the clock. The biggest play on this drive was a 33-yard pass to Zay Flowers over the middle. Rookie number 20 for the Bengals, DJ Turner, was trying to guard Zay Flowers out of the slot. Zay Flowers himself is also a rookie out of Boston College. Very quick, fast, elusive kind of guy, but he's small. And he was able to get separation from DJ Turner, caught the pass, and then got a lot of yards after the catch going up the left sideline. He got a good block from Mark Andrews on the sideline, picked up 33 yards on that play. That moved the ball into the Bengals' territory. Ravens kept moving the ball. They got a pass to Mark Andrews, that got them in first and goal, but unfortunately, Mark Andrews was injured on this play. Logan Wilson, the Bengals linebacker, number 55, went to make the tackle on Mark Andrews, the tight end for the Ravens, number 89. And when he did that, they did what's kind of known as the hip drop tackle, which is a technique where the defender basically leaves his feet and lets his body just hang off of the opposing offensive player and kind of like like a cowboy trying to take a steer down if you like a, if you've ever been to a rodeo basically basically trying to wrestle the offensive player down like a steer in this case Logan Wilson came down on top of Mark Andrews ankle and basically broke his ankle and the leg so Mark Andrews is going to be out for the rest of the season with a broken fibula and he's also got some ankle ligament damage. It was a very hard play to watch. Just as a fan of football, a fan of the game, you don't like to see guys get injured in this type of way. Looked like a very painful injury. Mark Andrews was obviously in distress and pain on the field. All the players immediately like took a knee around him and not a good scene to see. Not what you want to see. And that's the type of play that the rules committee is going to have to look at in the offseason in terms of banning this type of play we saw logan wilson make a couple of tackles like this and we've seen other players not just on the Bengals, but like jermaine pratt was another linebacker i've seen he, he injured some players last year making similar tackles it's not uncommon to see players get their lower body extremities injured in similar plays i wouldn't be surprised if this type of a tackle was banned similar to the way the horse collar tackle was banned 
because people were getting their legs broken from behind and stuff like that. Like plays like that where people are getting obviously injured and are unsafe for the game. You would like to see them taken out like where they have hits to the head, forcible blows to the head taken out of the game or they try to eliminate those from the game as much as possible with penalties and fines. You might start to see a similar thing start to happen with lower body injuries because those type of injuries keep players off the field and that's nobody wants to see that either. And for the Ravens, Mark Andrews is a key part of their team. Going into this game, you know, my friend, he's from Baltimore, fan of the Ravens. He sent me this thing about the Ravens blackout promotional, and the player on the promotional was Mark Andrews. So he's, you know, he might not be the quarterback of the team, but he's a figure piece. Mark Andrews is a player that a lot of fans are familiar with if they're fans of the Ravens team. So when a player like that gets hurt, it's not good for anybody, any fans of the game in general. But after that horrible injury, the Ravens somehow were able to get their minds right, regroup, and they put the ball in for a three-yard touchdown to put them up 7 to nothing. Bengals start their first drive with 10 minutes left to go in the first quarter. After they get one first down, the biggest play on this opening drive was they completed a pass to Tanner Hudson, and then he got face-masked on the play. So it was a 7-yard pass plus 15 yards for the face-mask, that got them 22 yards total. The drive ended up stalling out after a quick three and out after the face mask. They had to settle for a 50-yard field goal from Evan McPherson, which was good. So that made the game 7-3 Ravens. Ravens' second drive. This one was really a Trey Hendrickson-dominated drive. Ravens came out. They tried a pass deep over the middle on first down to Odell Beckham Jr., Cam Taylor Britt was defending on the play, but he was beat by at least a step or two. But Lamar Jackson, he threw it basically as hard and as far as he could, and it was just a little bit too far for Odell to get underneath. It was about a 60-yard pass in the air, but just a little bit too far. But you could tell later in this game the Ravens were trying to go deep on the Bengals' secondary. Maybe they were watching the Texans' film or something, but for whatever reason— the Ravens just felt like they could air it out, and they really they did all night against the Bengals. This one, however, was incomplete. Next play, they tried a run, but it was a misread by Lamar Jackson. He should not have handed it off to the running back. It was a zone read where basically the quarterback has the option to either hand it off to the running back or keep it and run it himself. He should have, Lamar, the quarterback for the Ravens, should have kept it, but instead he handed it off to the running back. Trey Hendrickson came in and blew up the running back for a four-yard loss. Like Pretty much as soon as the running back got the ball, Keaton Mitchell, Trey Hendrickson for the Bengals, came in off the edge, blew up the play, four-yard loss. Cincinnati had a penalty for too many men on the field, which didn't give the Ravens a first down, luckily. Then the next play, Trey Hendrickson comes in off the edge, gets around the left tackle for the Ravens, the backup left tackle, because their starting left tackle is out. Trey Hendrickson comes around the edge, speed move, sacks Lamar Jackson for a nine-yard loss. Ravens end up having to punt on their second drive, so not a bad recovery from the Bengals' defense on their second drive. Unfortunately, the Bengals' second drive is not any more successful than the Ravens. They go three and out, including one play that Joe Burrow got sacked on by Jadavion Clowney. They had to get off a punt, and Brad Robbins, who had been punting better recently, he kicks a short 38-yard punt. They showed it on the overhead camera. Brad Robbins had a microphone on it. As soon as he kicked it, Brad Robbins screamed in disgust. So you can tell it was a bad punt. 
Only 38 yards. Baltimore takes over at their own 31-yard line, but they ended up punting after a three-and-out as well. This three-and-out from the Ravens, this is where we started to see the first signs of Jordan Battle in the game at safety instead of Nick Scott. Jordan Battle was the Bengals' third-round draft pick from this past draft. He's a rookie out of Alabama. Got a lot of experience in college, but not in the pros. But Nick Scott has really been playing really poorly for the Bengals, not making tackles, giving up a lot in the passing game. So these first two plays of this drive, Jordan Battle came out and made two good tackles on Gus Edwards in the open field. Then we saw on third and four, Lamar Jackson tried to roll out and couldn't find anybody to pass downfield. So it was a good job by the Bengals defense to cover. But for some reason, Lamar Jackson didn't find anybody, didn't decide to run, didn't throw it away. And it was almost like he was in, he was confused about what to do. He didn't know whether he should run it, whether he should throw it away, throw it downfield. And Logan Wilson was tracking him down all the way on the sideline. Maybe Lamar expected that he would be able to outrun Logan Wilson, and I would have expected Lamar to outrun Logan Wilson. There was a couple plays in this game where Lamar had open field in front of him, and it was like, oh, no, you know, here comes this electric play where he's going to do a spin move by everybody, juke everybody out, and run for a 75-yard touchdown. That never happened in this game. Part of it was because on this play, another Logan Wilson special, Logan Wilson comes in, Tackles Lamar Jackson low, rolls up on his ankles too. Lamar Jackson comes up limping, and in the rest of the game, he was kind of favoring his ankle a little bit. But in general, Lamar, when he was running, he was very quick to get down, not get hit, not take any kind of contact, which makes sense because he was out last most of last season with an injured PCL because he got hit on a very innocuous-looking running play where he was just running around. He didn't slide. He took a hit and hurt his knee. Maybe this year he's like, okay, you know, I'm getting older. I just signed a big contract. I'm sure the coaches have been telling him, don't get hit. Don't take hits. Even if it looks like it won't be that big of a hit, you're too important. We need you to stay healthy. So he was just kind of ducking, getting down. For whatever reason on this play, he let himself get hit by Logan Wilson. So for the rest of the game, Lamar was kind of favoring his ankle. Lamar did end up throwing the ball away before Logan Wilson rolled up on his ankles. So the Ravens were able to punt the ball away. Bengals take over for the next drive with two and a half minutes left to go in the first quarter. They're trailing seven to three. Bengals are able to pick up a couple of first downs on a Joe Mixon 14-yard run and a Joe Burrow pass across the middle to Jamar Chase. But the drive is stalled out again on a negative play. Penalties, sacks, anything negative is really going to kill your drive. In this instance, it was a seven-yard sack on Joe Burrow where Cordell Volson basically just gave up the inside, didn't even get a hand on this guy, let the rookie from the end just run right past him and sack Joe Burrow in like two and a half seconds. Cordell Volson continues to struggle with people crossing his face and he just seems to have no vision like the guy is running right past him right in front of his face doesn't even get a hand on doesn't even react so Cordell Volson he's been struggling with his pass protection his entire career I don't know why I'm surprised but that's the kind of play that kills drives can't do anything when you're getting sacked in two seconds on first and ten Bengals aren't able to convert after the sack they have to settle for a 53 yard field goal which a little bit surprisingly Evan McPherson missed the field goal wide left so he misses the field goal Bengals are still down seven to three 
And that's the end of the first quarter. Ravens take over to start the second quarter. They get a first down off a defensive pass interference penalty on Dax Hill across the middle. He was covering the tight end, Isaiah Likely. Kind of came over the back where he wrapped his left arm around Likely's waist. Probably a good call in the defensive pass interference, but there were a lot of defensive pass interference penalties called in this game. A lot of penalties in this game in general. A lot of fans were complaining like, oh my God, the refs were so terrible in this play. I mean, there were a lot of penalties. There, were, I think there was nine penalties on both teams, but maybe only one of them was like a bad call, you would say. The rest of them were legitimate penalties, so everybody can stop complaining. Like, you can't have it both ways. Refs have to call illegal actions on the field when they see them. They can't just let plays go that are illegal. People say, oh, refs, leave the flags in your pockets. Like, okay, well, if they see something that's against the rules, they have to call it. They can't just not call plays that are illegal. So I don't know what these fans are talking about. Anyway, on the next play, Lamar Jackson tested Cam Taylor-Britt deep again. Rashad Bateman had him beat deep. Everybody's beating Cam Taylor-Britt deep for whatever reason. But this time, Cam Taylor-Britt has enough makeup speed to get there and kind of dive like a salmon in the air and get just his fingertips on the ball at the last second to knock it away. Otherwise, it was going to be a touchdown for sure. But he did just enough to get back in to get the ball. You know, maybe a Lamar took a little bit off of this pass because he overthrew the first one. So he didn't want to overthrow it. This wasn't quite an underthrow, but, you know, enough for Cam Taylor-Britt to get back there, break up the pass. Bengals defense does enough to force another punt by the Ravens. After that first touchdown, the Ravens offense has kind of stalled out here. Series of punts, giving the Bengals a chance to come back in this game. And perhaps not surprisingly, that's exactly what Joe Burrow and the Bengals do. They respond with a 15-play, 92-yard drive that takes almost seven and a half minutes in that second quarter. A couple of the big plays on that drive was... Their first series, third and four, Joe Burrow hit a deep pass on a wheel route where Tanner Hudson was actually lined up in the slot with Jamar Chase. They're two dangerous receivers, Jamar Chase and Tanner Hudson, lined up side by side. Ravens didn't know what to do, but Ravens, obviously they double-teamed Jamar Chase off the line of scrimmage. All the attention went to his side. That left Tanner Hudson one-on-one with the linebacker Patrick Queen. Hudson faked like he was going to do a five-yard out, but then he planted his foot in the ground and turned it upfield. Joe Burrow threw a perfect pass over Patrick Queen's head, who was trailing from behind. Tanner Hudson jumped up, grabbed it out of the air before the safety could come over and tackle him, and that was a 21-yard gain. But impressive throw and catch, good chemistry, good play design by the Bengals' offense. I mean, do we want to say they were taking advantage of a mismatch of Tanner Hudson on a linebacker? I don't know, but... Tanner Hudson, you know, he is catching everything. Last week, he's just been activated off the practice squad. So it's weird if he's so good, why weren't they using him all the rest of the season? Like, did they just discover, oh, wait, Tanner Hudson can catch. But, yeah, he catches everything. The only Tanner Hudson doesn't have a lot of yards after the catch abilities. We haven't seen him do too much with the ball once he catches it. But, you know, to his credit, he has very reliable hands when he gets the ball in his area. Like I mentioned, this was a 15-play drive, so as you would expect, not a lot of deep passes or long, explosive plays when you have a 15-play drive. It was a lot of short plays, short runs, but mostly short passes by Joe Burrow, as they've been doing 
most of this season, mostly a passing offense. Short passes to Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon was primarily the one involved on most of these short runs and short passes. When they got near the goal line, we saw Joe Burrow throw a swing pass out to the left to Joe Mixon as the pressure from Jadavion Clowney was closing in. And this, as we would find out later, was a play that contributed to Joe Burrow's injury. He didn't get sacked on this play. He had been sacked a couple times already in this game. He didn't get sacked, but he got hit. That's the thing is these QB hits, they may not count for moving the ball backwards or whatever, but it adds up cumulatively on the body of Joe Burrow. In this specific instance, he fell down to the ground and his right hand got jammed into the ground. Clowney landed on top of Joe Burrow and as Burrow was heading to the ground, he put his hand out to brace his fall, just instinctively trying to absorb some of the impact of hitting the ground. But as he did that, he got up and kind of shook his hand a little bit. But even at that point, he didn't seem in obvious distress. But he was saying after the game, the adrenaline is pumping in the moment. You don't really feel pain necessarily. You just kind of feel, you're just, I don't know what he said. He just kind of said like, you're just experiencing things. He didn't say he experienced any pain on the field but I'm sure he felt something was wrong or not quite right in his wrist on the next play it was first and goal Broad drops back throws it to Joe Mixon out of the backfield and watching it live I noticed oh Joe Mixon kind of had to reach back behind him to catch the pass it was a little bit behind Joe Mixon which is a little bit out of the ordinary for Joe Burrow typically that pass would be right up in Joe Mixon's face. He wouldn't even have to reach back to catch it. It would be a perfect pass from Joe Burrow. That lets you know right away that something was a little bit off, but Joe Mixon caught the pass, turned upfield, and scored the touchdown. So everybody, I'm going crazy. Like, yes, because now the Bengals are on top. They're leading after the extra point. It's 10-7. to 7. Bengals are on top. That's great. Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase are dancing in the end zone, celebrating. Everything's great. Then all of a sudden, Al Michaels says, wait a minute, on that pass, Joe Burrow's a little bit shaken up. So they show back the replay. As Joe Burrow releases the pass, he immediately bends over down to his knees and clutches his hand, his throwing hand, or his wrist, clutches his wrist. He's looking at it. When he comes up, the look on Joe Burrow's face is just of extreme, excruciating agony and shock and just it looks like almost like he doesn't know what's going on it's like what's happening to me what is this almost looks like a, like a, a tentacle could have been growing out of the end of joe burrow's hand at that point like he looked like so just shocked and like what is going on but he ran off the field and then we were like whoa we're gonna have to watch that you know you're thinking okay now that makes sense with the wrist injury the cast we saw before the game Maybe he had some kind of a sprain going on. It's flared up on him now during the game, and he's going to have to battle through it. And, you know, people are talking about maybe he should get like a painkilling injection to, you know, calm down whatever type of injury he's got at halftime. But a few minutes later, the cameras show Joe Burrow. He went into the blue medical tent. Now these days, they don't have players get examined by the doctors out in the open where all the cameras can see what's going on. They go inside this tent so they can have a little bit of privacy from the cameras. But as soon as Joe Burrow comes out of the medical tent, all the cameras are on him, he tries to go warm up on the sidelines. He picks up a football to try to throw it, and he can't throw it 
he just doubles over in pain. The ball just falls out of his hand. The ball, his wrist just kind of flops over. He doesn't even try to throw. He just like, nope, immediately shakes his head, says, nope, I'm done. It's over. And he walks into the locker room before halftime even starts. You're assuming, hopefully, in the best case scenario, they'll get him some kind of painkilling injection. He can come back and play. That obviously did not end up happening. Joe Burrow was out for the rest of this game. We would later find out he's going to be out for the rest of this season. A killer injury for the Bengals in this game, in this season. It takes the win not only out of the Bengals' offense, but for some reason, the Bengals' defense after this, they had been doing a pretty good job up until this. All of a sudden, all the wind came out of their sails. They started giving up touchdowns all over the place. It is a disastrous night after Joe Burrow's injury for the Bengals. The Ravens respond to the Bengals' touchdown with a touchdown drive of their own. It took nine plays, 85 yards, but only three and a half minutes. They actually scored two touchdowns on this drive, but one of them was nullified due to a penalty. It was kind of questionable, or definitely questionable. The second play of the drive, they threw a screen pass to Zay Flowers. They called a holding penalty on Odell Beckham. He might have done maybe a slight tug of the jersey on Chitabe Awuzie, but not enough to really impact the play. It was a 68-yard touchdown called back for the Raven. So any Bengals fans who are out there complaining about the referees, don't forget that the Ravens had a 68-yard touchdown called back for a questionable holding penalty. So don't forget about that. But anyway, later on in this drive, the Ravens picked up a 29-yard gain on a pass over the middle to Odell Beckham Jr., where he was basically running a deep crosser, got separation from Cam Taylor-Britt, caught it, Cam Taylor-Britton couldn't catch up, but Jordan Battle was there to make the tackle. Jordan Battle made a lot of open field tackles on Lamar Jackson, Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, all those type of people. So it's, you know, he was the playing free safety. So he was tackling people like 10, 15, 20 yards down the field, but still making good, sure, solid tackles. Like I think he had like 10 total solo tackles and 12 combined tackles in the game. So for Jordan Battle, this was his first game playing the majority of the snaps over Nick Scott. And given the amount of tackles he had, I think we'll see more Jordan Battle going forward instead of Nick Scott. The Bengals were able to get the Ravens into a third and six scenario. There was actually a weird play where right after that long 29-yard pass to Odell Beckham Jr., Lamar Jackson took a sack where he was back in the pocket looking for somebody to throw it to for about eight seconds, if I had to guess. You know, it was more than five, but he was—he seemed to have all day back there because the Bengals only rushed three defensive linemen plus Mike Hilton. And Mike Hilton obviously was not getting past the Ravens offensive linemen, but Lamar Jackson ran around and kind of just delayed and delayed for so long. He eventually tried to run, but he ended up running into one of his own offensive linemen back and he kind of stumbled, and Mike Hilton was right there to tackle him for a two-yard sack. It was kind of a weird... Lamar Jackson had a couple of weird plays like that where he was just kind of running around, not knowing what to do in no man's land and getting sacked or throwing the ball away or taking weird hits. It was an unusual night for Lamar Jackson. Not his best night, honestly. And kind of to that point, there was a couple of plays later where they did get him to third and six. Jermaine Pratt actually tipped the pass across the middle. It was intended... For the tight end, Isaiah Likely, Jermaine Pratt tipped it, but unfortunately, the Ravens got the luck. Nelson Aguilar was right there to catch the tip and ran all the way for a 37-yard touchdown. 
Cam Taylor Britt was also called for an illegal use of a hands penalty that was declined on that play. Ravens go up back on top 14 to 10 with two and a half minutes left to go in the first quarter. At this point, as a Bengals fan, we just saw Joe Burrow with like a close up of him having the most horrendous looking agony and pain and just dejection on his face as he tries to throw, can't throw. So I'm already, you know, I'm screaming. All kinds of obscenities. My neighbors probably think I was murdering somebody over here. I'm just like losing my mind watching Joe Burrow like going into the locker room. And so I'm totally dejected. I'm thinking, you know what? Like, let's just come out and take a couple of knees, run some time off the clock and get out of here and go to halftime. Because I really, I, I didn't expect a lot out of Jake Browning. But to the Bengals credit, I guess they tried to score some points and not just give up on the first half. Surprisingly, the first play of Jake Browning's NFL career, he comes out and throws a play-action pass to Trenton Irwin complete for 12 yards. I was surprised they did like a bootleg, naked bootleg, Jake Browning to his left side, completes it to Trenton Irwin. So I was surprised, you know, I'm sure the Ravens were thinking, okay, backup quarterback in the game, they're going to run it. Here we go. But no, they complete a pass, first down. Next play, they get a illegal use of hands penalty on the Ravens. So the Bengals pick up another first down, two plays, two first downs. So that kind of changes up the whole psychology of the situation. Okay, yeah, we do have a backup quarterback in the game, but we're down 14 to 10. There's two minutes left to go in the half. Bengals had, I think, one timeout left at that point. Bengals had timeouts left. They had time on their side. So it was like, okay, you know, got a couple first downs. Maybe the Bengals could make something happen after this. Things are looking okay. They get it to third and three. And Browning completes a pass over the middle to Trenton Irwin for 10 yards. It's called a completed pass on the field, but it goes to instant replay. Instant replay reverses it. They say Trenton Irwin let the ball hit the ground. It comes up incomplete. So it's a minute and 43 seconds left. Instead of getting a first down, now it's fourth and three. Bengals punt the ball away. The offense came out and, you know, tried to fake like they were going to actually go for it on fourth and three with Jake Browning, but it was just a, a half-hearted attempt to try to get the Ravens to jump off sides and get the free first down penalty. But Bengals take a delay of game and end up punting the ball. Unfortunately, Brad Robbins, so they punt it from their own 47-yard line. Brad Robbins, for some reason, <laughs> gets off like a line drive punt it goes into the end zone for a touchback. He's not able to pin the Ravens deep. And this is critical because this is a perfect opportunity. That's why they took the delay of game was to give Brad even more room to punt it. He kicks like a line drive straight into the end zone. No opportunity to down it inside the five-yard line or anything like that. Brings it back out for the 20-yard line. The Ravens take over at their own 20-yard line with a minute and 30 seconds left to go in the second quarter. The Ravens, they run two incomplete passes to start off. Third and 10, they kind of get bailed out by a defensive pass interference penalty on Cheetah Bay Awuzie. Maybe a light tug of the jersey by Cheetah, but it's kind of similar to the holding penalty they had last drive against the Ravens where Odell Beckham Jr. was holding Cheeto. And this one, Cheeto, he had a little bit of a hold on the jersey. Third and 10, it's a tough penalty. It gives the Ravens another first down, keeps their drive alive. Next play, the Ravens complete a 15-yard pass, but B.J. Hill, number 92 for the Bengals, 
he comes up holding his knee injured on this play. It was looking like he was going to be another key player for the Bengals down. He actually returned to this game a little bit later. So it was a scary moment, but nothing too serious. It doesn't seem like for B.J. Hill, but it was just you don't want to see guys going down without any contact. Like the ball was snapped and he pretty much untouched fell on the ground. So you're thinking maybe he tore something or really hurt something, but it seemed like he was okay. Unfortunately, a couple plays later, there's a, this is this is the penalty that a lot of people are complaining about, rightfully so. The Bengals got called for a defensive pass interference, the second of such penalty on this drive. DJ Turner, number 20, the rookie for the Bengals, he went up to make a play. It was a deep pass. Lamar Jackson throws another deep pass to Zay Flowers. It's a good play by DJ Turner. He tries to go up, make a play on it. The referee throws a flag because it looks like from his vantage point from the referee's perspective who threw the flag it looked like dj turner bumped into zay flowers in the air from a different angle you can see that there was barely any contact if at all and ideally one of the other referees should have overturned this guy and be like hey actually i had a better angle on that and the bengals guy didn't even touch him or they talk about the sky judge or one of these expedited replays they've got these people with the cameras they can see every angle. They're sitting in New York at the command center. They should buzz down to the ref and say, hey, actually, that is a terrible defensive pass interference penalty. Pick the flag up. You would say, like, upon further review, no penalty. Never mind. We effed up. Like, don't just let these horrible penalties go because this is how you get fans upset. You get people saying the fix is in. The league wanted the Ravens to win, all this kind of stuff. When it's an obvious missed penalty, the league should jump in and be like, actually, we take that one back. Never mind. That's not what happens. The Bengals get the penalty. The Ravens continue their drive. They get another 21-yard pass to Odell Beckham Jr. Gets it down close to the goal line. They ended up third and seven. Lamar Jackson scrambling around. He finds Rashad Bateman, who gets open in the back of the end zone. Cam Taylor Britt's trying to guard him. And Cam just kind of lets his eyes get lost in the backfield. He starts looking at where the quarterback is, loses sight of where the guy he's supposed to be guarding is. So it's kind of like if you're guarding somebody in basketball, you can't look at where the ball is. You have to look at where the guy you're guarding is. <laughs> that doesn't happen. They get a touchdown on this one. Another touchdown puts the Ravens up 21-10 to 10 going into halftime. So quite the roller coaster of emotions for Bengals fans. Here we are. We just a couple minutes ago we had gone taken the lead, 14 to 10, scored a touchdown. Things are looking good. Then all of a sudden we get dropped off of a cliff. Joe Burrow is out for the game with a wrist injury, and then the Ravens score two touchdowns right before halftime, right in our face. Not an ideal way to close out the first half, but it's like, well, I mean, the Bengals are getting the ball back to start the second half, but. Honestly, after that point, I was thinking, Jake Browning coming in here, he's never played in the NFL really at all. I was thinking he wasn't going to score any points. I thought the Bengals, 10 points was going to be their maximum. They ended up scoring 10 more points. So based on my expectations at halftime, the Bengals did pretty well. I mean, they still got outscored in the second half too. They got outscored 13-10 to 10 in the second half, but... I guess it wasn't quite as bad as the first half. At halftime, this is, I guess, the, as good a place as any to get into this. There was a couple times in this game to make this horrible game even worse. It was delayed not only by injury, but there was a couple drone incidents during this game. Multiple times, 
during the game where a drone flew over the stadium, over the field. They had to suspend play. All the players go to the sidelines because you don't know what's going on. You don't want to encourage somebody who's got this drone, oh, let's just keep playing because you know they could try to fly the drone through the play while the play is going on. It could interrupt the play. And I don't, you know, I can't say like, oh, this is the Ravens' fault necessarily because this happened to the Bengals too. When the Bengals' playoff games got interrupted by a drone flying over the stadium, you can get in a lot of trouble if you get caught doing this. But obviously, it's hard to catch somebody doing it in the act because it's a remote-controlled drone. So you have to, you know, trace back who is flying the drone. It can be kind of difficult to find out. But the NFL in general just needs to do a better job of getting a handle on their security at the stadium. You can't have drones flying over people because, you know, these drones are heavy. They've got a lot of electronics and lithium ion batteries. So it's, you can't like shoot the drone out of the sky above the stadium because it could fall and hurt somebody below. So, So that's not really a possibility. You can't like have a net or something to go out and grab the drone. And I think really the, maybe the best solution is to have some kind of a frequency jammer or something that would prevent any drone from being able to fly just in the vicinity of the stadium. I'm not a security expert. I know there's some boundaries that drones normally aren't able to fly within. You got to do some kind of like geolocation hacks to get the drone to be able to fly in places where it's not supposed to. I don't know anything about that, but the point is this kind of stuff is really annoying and it's becoming more common before it becomes a problem at every game, I hope, you know, I don't want to see like 10 drones flying over every game. we got to stop every game. Like, let's have the NFL figure out some way to keep these drones out of the stadium so we don't have the games delayed by this kind of stuff. Because this is just annoying. Like, I don't know why people want to do this. It doesn't do anything. It just slows everything down. It's not cool. So just cut it out. But to the Bengals' credit, they did not give up to start the second half. They came out. They got the ball first. They drove it down 13 plays. 72 yards, got within scoring position. Mostly, it was I mean, it was mostly like short passes, short runs, as you would expect out of this offense and Jake Browning. But they did pick up a 34-yard defensive pass interference penalty, similar to the one the Ravens got. So if the Bengals are complaining, the penalties went both ways. Ravens got a defensive pass interference penalty, 34 yards. That moved the Bengals into scoring position, but they weren't able to convert that into a touchdown. Bengals ended up having to settle for a field goal. That made the score 21 to 13 Ravens. The Ravens responded with their own methodical 10 play 68 yard drive that took almost six minutes off the clock and ended in a field goal. That put the Ravens up 24 to 13 with four minutes left to go in the third quarter. Unfortunately for the Bengals, the hot start to the second half quickly stopped after the field goal drive. They had three straight drives that ended with a three and out and punt. Starting with this first drive, they went three and out, negative two yards. They had a penalty, they had a sack, ended up having to punt it back to the Ravens. Ravens picked up about 25 yards on five plays on their drive, but they got stalled out after a couple incomplete passes, settled for another field goal. That put the Ravens up 27 to 13. Bengals respond with another quick three and out. This was a drive where Kirk Herbstreet mentioned how it's a game of inches. And he highlighted a play. It was an incomplete pass over the middle to Tyler Boyd where Jake Browning just put the ball on the wrong shoulder. It should have been to the outside shoulder. He left it inside. That let the Ravens linebacker come over and tip the ball away. Incomplete pass. 
Bengals have to punt it back to the Ravens again. This takes us into the fourth quarter. At this point in the game, there's one quarter left. The Ravens are by 14. It's 27 to 13. The Ravens are really more interested in shortening the game up, running the ball, just trying to run more clock out and get the win as opposed to scoring a lot of points. So they end up punting the ball after a short three and a half minute, 28 yard drive back to the Bengals. Unfortunately, Bengals, like I mentioned, another three and out. Don't do anything with the ball at all. Move it three yards. Jake Browning takes a sack again, and they have to punt it away. Ravens take over at their own 32-yard line. And the biggest play for the Ravens on this drive was the third play. They hit a deep pass to the right sideline to Odell Beckham Jr., where he got a step behind the rookie, number 20, DJ Turner. He got DJ Turner actually got an illegal contact penalty on this play that was declined, which must have come before the pass because after the pass was thrown, Odell Beckham Jr. catches it behind DJ Turner. DJ Turner like turned around to try to find out where the ball was, completely lost sight of where he was supposed to be guarding, kind of like Cam Taylor Britt on the other touchdown. This ends up in a 51-yard gain for the Ravens, takes it all the way down to the Bengals' 16-yard line. A few run plays later, the Ravens score another touchdown with Gus Edwards up the middle. That makes it 34-13 to Ravens with about four and a half minutes left to go. At this point in the game, about five minutes left to go, 34 to 13, Bengals down three touchdowns. The game is out of reach, but to their credit, they keep fighting just to just to make the score a little bit more respectable, I guess, and you know, try to get something going with Jake Browning since this is his first action ever in the NFL. But you can kind of tell even Jamar Chase's body language, he doesn't really seem I mean, he's running the routes, he's still playing, but not playing like maybe as quite as hard and as intense as he normally would be running those routes. You know, maybe he's breaking them off a little bit quicker than he normally would, but I don't blame him. Like he has been with Joe Burrow his entire career. He wants to win. He doesn't like being down by three touchdowns, having no chance to win. So he's kind of, his attitude is understandably a little bit down as is, I would imagine the rest of the Bengals team. But on this drive, even though they gave up another 10 yard sack on second and eight, Orlando Brown Jr., let Kyle Van Noy get around him, sack Jake Browning. So that brings up third and 18. They pick up 15 yards on the Travion Williams draw play up the middle. I think the Ravens were kind of in a prevent defense on third and 18, but credit to Travion. He picks up 15 on third and 18. Bengals go for it because why not? There's three minutes left to go in the game, down by three touchdowns. Let's go for it. On fourth and three, Jake Browning picks up 19 yards on the scramble. I mean, at this point in the game, you know, like I said, the Ravens are kind of playing loose, prevent defense. They're probably tired. <laughs> they just want to get the game over with. So Jake Browning's like scrambling around for 19 yards. Whatever. Again, credit to Jake Browning. He, right after that, he completes a 19-yard pass to Tanner Hudson, who makes a tough catch in traffic across the middle. Then they get another scramble from Jake Browning, who's running around all over the place. That's you know, that's the one thing that Jake Browning has going for him is. He can scramble a little bit. Now, hopefully he's able to continue. You know, if he keeps getting hit, he's not going to be scrambling that much. So as a young, young in his career, he's older than Joe Burrow. I want to, people act like he's like, like a young rookie. Jake Browning is older. He's been on the earth longer than Joe Burrow has. So even though he has no experience, he's been around the block. So we'll see how long he's able to run around and make these type of plays. It may, like I said, it may just be end of the game. Defense is getting tired. Jake Browning has only played like half of the game. So he's more fresh than the rest of these guys. So he's able to get away. 
they end up scoring a touchdown. Jake Browning throws a short pass on the left sideline. Jamar Chase does a good route, gets open on the corner of the end zone, scores a touchdown, gets the score to 34 to 20 right at the end, makes it a little bit more respectable. But I mean, whether you lose by three touchdowns or two touchdowns, it doesn't really matter. Still got blown away, still lost, but I guess, you know, just for padding the stats and giving Jake Browning a little bit of confidence, hey, you know, he got his first touchdown in the NFL, even though it was only a minute left to go in the game and they're, only, and they're still down by two touchdowns, he can say now Jake Browning has a NFL touchdown. So good for Jake Browning. After the game, since Joe Burrow got injured, he did not do any interviews. So they didn't ask him, they didn't get a chance to ask him about the wrist strap, the wrist brace, whatever it was. That was still a mystery after the game. They did interview Zach Taylor. I forget what he said. Probably nothing important. Mostly, they were asking him, Yo, Zach, uh, what was up with the defense giving up all those yards and points like they did last week again? Well, you know, I saw a lot of good things out of the defense out there. I don't know what that means. Like, they gave up 34 points, over 400 yards of offense. So, the good was... Not very obvious to me. I mean, Jordan Battle making a lot of good plays, the rookie. As far as defensive MVPs, I'll give it to Jordan Battle. He stepped up. Good job to Jordan Battle. You know, I got to give credit to those guys. But for the most part, as a team, the Bengals played horrible. Offense, defense, even special teams. Nobody played well in this game at all. And I don't even think the coaching staff did a good job. Like, the game plan wasn't that good. Maybe that's one of the things that will give them a little bit of an advantage going into next week is since they played on Thursday, they got a few extra days to come up with a game plan. And they're going to need it because Joe Burrow being out for the rest of the year, they got to come up with something to be competitive and try to win games with Jake Browning as the starting quarterback. Just looking at the team stats after the game, Baltimore outgained the Bengals 405 to 272. Ravens had more passing yards. They had 248 passing yards to the Bengals, 136. 136 passing yards for an entire game with Joe Burrow and Jake Browning combined. That's not going to win you a lot of games in the NFL these days. On the rushing end, the Bengals were a little bit better, but they still got outgained by the Ravens. Ravens had 157 yards. Bengals had 136 yards on the ground. That's unfortunately about average for the Bengals defense they have given up more yards than anybody in the NFL this year in rushing not a surprise but maybe a little bit surprising to see those rushing yards for the Bengals a lot of that was Jake Browning at the end of the game running around though not a lot of rushing yards from Joe Mixon in this game as you would expect the average yards per play went to the Ravens they had seven yards per play compared to the Bengals five there were no turnovers in this game which was interesting no fumbles no interceptions by either team. That's one of the things that have kept the Bengals competitive in a lot of their games. If the Bengals somehow in this game could have forced a fumble or an interception, maybe they could have stayed around. But no turnovers for the Bengals defense, giving up 34 points. That's a recipe for losing games. Bengals also gave up more sacks. They gave up five sacks. Baltimore had three sacks, but like I mentioned, some of those sacks were weird where it was just Lamar running around where he had plenty of opportunity to get rid of the ball. It's not like the Bengals were coming in and putting a lot of pressure on him. The, really, the only true sack was Trey Hendrickson. So really, I give the Bengals one sack. And I mentioned the records. The Ravens improved their record in primetime night games to 20-3 and three since 2008. 
and the Bengals have lost 15 games in a row on the road in primetime, including the playoffs. 14 consecutive regular season primetime games, the Bengals have been losers. And I don't know if the Bengals are going to get any more primetime games after losing Joe Burrow for the season. You've got to expect a lot of these networks are going to try to move the Bengals out of primetime if they can, if at all possible, because you know, they want the big matchup of winning football teams with star players. If the Bengals are going to start losing all their games, not being competitive and having Jake Browning as the starting quarterback, these teams are going to be like, whoa, uh, let's get somebody else, anybody else, please. So Bengals may be playing a lot more of their games at 1 o'clock. After this game, this puts the Ravens ahead on top of the AFC North, like they started out, but they're 8-3 and three ahead of the Cleveland Browns, who are 7-3. and three. Ravens have half a game advantage on the Browns. Steelers are six and four. Bengals are in last place at five and five. A lot of work to be done. Bengals have lost the last two in a row. Season is starting to slip away. I mean, they're still 500. Conceivably, if they win some games, if they're over 500 by the end of the season, you never know. They could be in it. You know, if they're nine and eight or 10 and seven, they may have a chance. But without Joe Burrow, the odds are not looking good. Now, unfortunately, since we're so late into the season, there's no opportunity for the Bengals to trade for another quarterback. Not that they would. Bengals are notorious for not trading during the season, but the, there's no even possibility of trading for anybody. Not that any team would really be willing to trade at this point in the season, and they can't really sign anybody off of the street. Like, there's free agents. They ended up signing Drew Plitt, a cut, you know, cut to the chase. They signed Drew Plitt, a free agent, who's just kind of been on the couch lives in the Cincinnati area. They're like, hey, you want to play quarterback in the practice squad? Okay, yeah, sure. So he, Drew Plitch is going to come out there, throw some pa passes in practice just so the other two quarterbacks' arms don't get extra tired. They got Jake Browning. They got A.J. McCarron. Those are the two Bengals quarterbacks from here on out. And then hopefully we don't see any of Drew Plitt, but he's going to be the emergency quarterback. Well, like I said, immediately after the game, I was not in a good state. I was in a deep depression for maybe a day or two after this, like, oh no, the season's lost. You know, I, our hopes had been so high. This was going to be the season that they won it all. They were going to go to the Super Bowl. They had T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow all under contract with Tyler Boyd still. Joe Mixon, everybody was back. The offensive line was supposedly improved. This was supposed to be the season. As soon as they lost Joe Burrow, all those plans have changed, gone out the window. And everything seems like it's just crumbling around us. It's hard to go from one extreme to the other. It's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. I hope that they exceed my expectations, just like they did in the end of the Ravens game, like where my expectation was to not score any more points. My expectation for the rest of the season is to not win any more games. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that they do get a couple wins in there. Honestly, if they didn't, it wouldn't be that bad because they get better draft position. I know, you know, you don't want to watch a team lose all the games, but in the grand scheme of things, maybe it would be better to lose those games so we get some better draft picks. Not that the Bengals know what to do with draft picks anyway, but I'm just saying, you know, in theory, it could potentially help. But who knows? You never know. I mean, some people are out there like, oh, you just got to be positive. You never know. I mean, yeah, that, that's just not really my style i gotta be honest with you optimism like is not really just flowing through me 24 7 so i'm a little bit cynical i'm sorry i 
Hate to tell you, but I'm not real optimistic about the Bengals rest of the season. Like I said, but I'm going to watch and I'm going to break it down every step of the way because I have to. Even if I have to hate watch, I'm watching these games. So come along with me and let's enjoy this season whatever possible way we can. Next up on the docket is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're coming in here to Paycor Stadium to take on the Bengals. Let's see what old Jake Browning can do against the Steelers. The Bengals somehow are favored in this game by a point and a half, which is remarkable to me. Maybe the bookies know more about Jake Browning than I did. He did play at the University of Washington and had a pretty good career out there. So we'll have to see what old Browning can do. And we're going to have to see what this coaching staff can do. Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, Lou Anarumo, they got to figure out a way, even without Joe Burrow, to win some games. There's no excuse. Just because you lose your starting quarterback, yeah, it's tough. But you can't just pack in the season and give up. Like they got to win some games. Not that their career is going to be in any jeopardy. Unfortunately, they could honestly lose all the rest of these games and they're not going to get fired no matter how bad they lose them, which is unfortunate. I feel like there should be some accountability, some kind of responsibility taken by the coaches. And they have some pride, but I don't think that they're really fearing for their jobs at this point, which they should. I want them to be nervous. I want them to feel like they're coaching for their jobs here, but they won't. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, I'll come back with a preview of the week 12 game a little bit later this week. I wanted to get this one out there. It's tough, I know, to go through this kind of a trauma as a fan base, but we got to do it. We got to keep going. I know it sucks, but unfortunately, injuries are just part of football that we have to accept. And this was always a possibility that Joe Burrow could be out for some period. And, you know, we got to say, hey, at least we got to see Joe Burrow for nine and a half games or something like that. And that was pretty fun. He had some good plays to Jamar Chase in there, some good memories. So, you know, just just have to accept it for what it was and hope for the best for the rest of this year. But that about does it for this episode. If you've listened this long, please subscribe, follow, turn on your notifications, give me a rating, all that type of stuff. I'll be back soon with a preview of week 12 against the Raiders. But until then, I'm going to leave you with a who day and stay hungry for more Bengal Bites. Thank you.